Bankless Nation. It is the third week of July. David, what time is it? It is the Friday weekly roll-up, uh, the special David in Paris edition of the Bankless Weekly Roll-Up. And this is <laughs> where we, we go through the weekly news of crypto, which there always is a lot of. So we go through the market, what's happened in the market. We go through what got released, and then we hit what happened in the news cycle. And then we finish up with what uh, is the ecosystem takes, who has some interesting takes in the world of crypto. We finish up with what David and Ryan are excited about, and then we top things off with the meme of the week. You might have a moment of zen at the end, but and look, a moment I'm of excited zen. about this. This this, this is the, the first weekly roll-up broadcasting from Paris. So mm -hmm. uh, pretty mm -hmm. awesome, man. How is Paris, by the way? I am absolutely exhausted, but it's been kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, it was the it was uh, the Rave. The Ave Rave wore you out. Ave, yeah. Ave Rave, yeah, wore me out. Yeah, I got home at like four in the morning last night. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, thanks for doing the weekly roll-up, David. I know the crypto community appreciates it, all your hard work and dedication. Um, David, before we get in, we should talk about the Smart Contract Summit that's coming up. I am psyched about this thing because it's basically a free DeFi conference that anyone can register for, whether you're a developer, you're not a developer, you're just trying to learn about automated market makers, Layer 2, um, MEV, oracles, all of these subjects will be covered. There'll be 200 plus DeFi projects and founders and speakers, lots of different panels, lots of different sessions. David, you and I will be there. This will be a couple of days, hopefully, mm -hmm. right after the deployment of EIP-1559. So we are hosting a panel on EIP-1559 and the progress. It's just fantastic that this kind of a conference is being put out as a public good. It is a smart contract summit. You can find a link to it in the show notes. Make sure you grab a free ticket August 5th through the 7th. Oracles are really important to blockchains because they allow blockchains to connect to the rest of the world. And so any type of application always can have the Oracle side of it, right? So Oracles touch everything. So every time we, we everything that Ryan and I talk about, there's always the Oracle conversation right alongside with it, which is why Chainlink is throwing a summit. So it makes a ton of sense. So see you guys there. Yeah, they're a perfect aggregator for that. All right, David, you ready to get into market stuff? Let's do it. All, All right, Bitcoin market. Tell us what is going on in Bitcoin world. Where'd we start? Where'd we end? Hey, we, so we dumped down below $30,000, which is a scary number to break through. And then we hopped right back above it. So we are currently at the price of $31,700. We started the week a little bit higher, but overall I would kind of call it a flat week. A flat week a with like week. A, a dip into like t the terror zone. And then we didn't, <laughs> and then we didn't like that. Then we got right back out of it. Yeah, below again, it's just this this holding crab week, crab season. Mm -hmm. I can't even mm -hmm. remember how long we've been here. It's like one of those things where it's like, have we been here for months, right. years? <laughs> how long have we been purgatory in season? season? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but like under under thirty k for Bitcoin does mm -hmm. not feel happy, not feel good. and right. under two k for ETH does not feel happy. So tell us about ETH because we're kind of mm -hmm. we went way under two k, mm -hmm. not way under, but decently under two k, and now where are we? Yeah, we found the the a new bottom at around 1730 in the middle of this week. $1,730 started the week off right at about 1920-ish dollars. And uh, yesterday and this morning, uh, depending, I'm in Paris, France, so depending on, you know, whatever that means for you, uh, we actually <laughs> jumped above $2,000. So we jumped almost $300, which is a big move for Ether, especially inside of one week. So definitely a volatile week. And I think this might be on the uh, kind of the hype of Elon Musk announcing that he owns Ether. Um, but I kind of also think that like decently 
the market was ready to gobble up a lot of $1,700 E. So I kind of think this pump might have been under its own weight. Uh, and then with the Elon Musk, uh, I own Ether announcement also just kind of added a little bit of momentum to that too. Yeah, some people say there's like part of the reason we're in crap seasons because there's really not a lot of sellers under mm-hmm. 30K Bitcoin, right. under 2K ETH, right? And especially when you get to 1700 ETH. I'm not sure, honestly. Right. It, but you really think that that hop up was due to the Elon uh, announcement and that Elon conversation. The, the timing was there, certainly. Um, but, but like I said, I think also Ether just completely rejected like 1700 ETH. Like, uh, I yeah. think that there are a lot of buyers at that level. And, what, and to, to, say, to go on what you were saying, the reason why we're in crap market is that there's a lot of buyers at like the 1700 level. And like there's also turn, they turn into sellers at like a really low level of like 2200, 2300. That's when the buyers turn to the sellers. So like there's like a narrow band. We got buyers at the floor, but like sellers on the ceiling, right? I don't deal with any of that, David. I'm just a holder, man. Just mm-hmm. a simple, mm-hmm. lowly holder. Uh, you know, uh, and a, a buyer. Cool. you're a buyer too. Uh, I'm a buyer. Been, yeah. I'm, I've been buying. Dollar cost average in, guys. That is mm-hmm. the way to do it. Um, I, I saw this on Coinmetrics, David. I thought this was super interesting. This is actually Google searches for Bitcoin, keyword Bitcoin, Google searches for keyword um, Ether, uh, Ethereum, actually. And so what's really interesting is uh, during this sort of bull cycle, 2021, did you know Bitcoin in Google Trends did not actually hit its all-time high search? You can see hmm. this graph here. It hit hmm. all-time high search in 2018, the last bull cycle, oh. which is interesting. It's down, of course, from the all-time high. So the all-time high was probably like uh, April, May or mm-hmm. so for not the all-time high, but the local high for the Bitcoin search in Google Trends. That that just means people are searching Bitcoin as a, as a keyword. Like there's buzz about it and it's going into Google search. What's interesting about Ethereum is... All-time high was actually wow. this bull wow. market cycle. You see the wow. difference? That's d- yeah, like so twice as high as it was in 2017. Twice as high, which is interesting. Now it's of mm-hmm. course way down because sure. you know people stopped searching, I guess, NFTs, SNL, you know, mm-hmm. Ethereum, whatever they were searching. But um, the fact that it got much higher, mm-hmm. sort of the, the conclusion from Coinmetrics is, well, does that indicate that Ethereum has been more driven by retail this cycle? Mm-hmm. Whereas Bitcoin has been more driven by institutions this cycle. Of course, Mm. institutions don't have to Google Bitcoin. There's fewer of them. They just have lots of money to pour into it. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really interesting takeaway. And I was actually surprised that uh, Ethereum far exceeded Mm -hmm. its last um, all-time high in Google Trends in in this bull cycle. We'll see where this goes next. Even where we're at right now in in 2021, Ethereum Google search trends is actually like meaningfully higher than most of Ethereum in 2017, and so that that's yeah. also interesting. The other thought I had is back on the uh, the Google, the Bitcoin uh, chart, uh, while Bitcoin got the, like the all time high of uh, search trends was was in 2017. Look at the area under the curve, which is, I think is like sustained Google searching because uh, the, the in 2017 it really looks like a flash in the pan. It's like a spike. Oh, yeah. But in yep. 2021, it's like sustained Bitcoin searching from the, for the last like year or so. There's a lot of Absolutely. area under the curve for that. So that's something to note as well. The, the other thing I, I note is like, hey, everything's a fractal. Look at this, early 2017, you had that spike mm-hmm. up and then a way spike down. And the summer of 20, 2017, no one, people weren't searching for Ethereum as much, right? Kind of how we are today. And then you got a huge spike, you know, uh, October, November, December, January, February back again. So maybe this is just a, a local 
you know, down. Mm -hmm. This would be the theory that, hey, um, after after this summer, this is going to repeat similar to 2017 and the bull market shall resume. Mm -hmm. We'll have to see how that plays out. Um, all right, let's talk about this. David, um, I, I thought this Lil Moon Lambo tweet, mm -hmm. great name, by the way, great handle, Lil Moon, well done, uh, was, was very, like it, it felt right for this week. Um, and he says this, a year ago, Bitcoin was 11K and ETH was 320. A year later, everyone is panicking because Bitcoin is 29K and ETH is $1,700. The lesson here is don't worry about the short-term price movements when you're in it for the long run. When in doubt, zoom out. Good reminder. Look, man, uh, 29K a Bitcoin, 1,700 ETH. A year ago, if you had told us at this date a year ago, these would be the prices a year from now, everyone would be excited. Everyone would be right. jubilant. It would be mm -hmm. considered a smashing success. But right. human nature... <laughs> just just has this weird effect when you when you rise really, like really fast and really high and then you're off those highs you feel like you've lost something we have not lost anything we are up on the year in a big way the fact that this tweet got over 5000 likes and the meat of this tweet is using the word panicking it says he says a year later everyone is panicking that's just like a buy signal to me. It's like yeah. <laughs> people are panicking. Everyone is liking and retweeting this tweet because they're all resonating with the word panicking. Uh, and so like, that's just a buy signal to me. And I, I've been, there, there's been a number of uh, people that uh, have come into crypto that are in my, my, my own circles, my, my non-crypto circles, people from college, from high school, just friends. Uh, and this, they're, they're, they're uni cyclers, right? This is their first cycle. I keep on try, trying to convince them that the best thing for them that could ever happen to them is Ether dipping really, really hard. Like if you are bullish on Ether, you want the price to go down. <laughs> you want it to yeah. go low. And this has been one of the most frustrating things with Ether at like $1,700 or $2,000 because I, you, I was spoiled when I got into Ether. I was buying Ether between like one and $300. And so now when I go to Gemini and I make my purchases, I'm like, oh, I only get this amount of ether these days. With a, this <laughs> is a, as far as one thousand dollars gets me. One thousand dollars used to get me three ether. Now it's like one half of an ether. Like I, that's <laughs> yeah. frustrating. And so like I keep wanting ether to go down more and more and more, so I can finish accumulating. And so it's if this is your that... first cycle for you, be okay with the number going down. Like that's be when you get bullish. It. Yes. Be happy about it. It's a buying mm -hmm. opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I agree. But it's really hard to get people to. I mean. These conversations didn't happen in 2019, 2020. No one was interested mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in in crypto exactly when they should be. Um, yeah, it's such a mind trap that way. All right, let's uh, let's keep moving. Ether Bitcoin ratio. What's the ratio telling us this week, David? Last week I was talking about how Ether is starting the the BTC ratio started dipping below 0.06, and that is starting to get into like the danger red territory, but also kind of fitting with that trend of a higher low, and that's exactly what happened. We painted that floor at like 0.058 a couple days ago, uh, and then with uh, the the uh, jump in the markets yesterday, we are now back to 0.062, which is a great number. Uh, and like I've been saying, the ETH BTC ratio above 0.6 is a historical high, and it's holding that level really, really well in the midst of crab market, bear season, whatever. So the fact that Ether is holding that ratio versus Bitcoin. Uh, is is just indicative of I mean uh, straight up of crab season because it's not going anywhere but it's holding its ground in the midst of a a testing time and I think that's really awesome. Look, I do think that this is I indicative of a um, people aren't letting go of the bull market, right? Mm -hmm. This thing could yeah. recover when this ratio starts to go like 
bull markets are to Ether's benefit. And if we're going to have a bull market, and we talked about this before, but ETH needs to go up, the ratio uh, need, needs to change in Ether's direction. And it's, it's holding steady. So it's not mm -hmm. losing ground right now, which is good to see. Um, let's talk about total locked value in DeFi. That is also holding steady. You're like 55 billion last mm -hmm. week. I think we're like 58 billion this week. Just hang in there. Mm -hmm. And Ave dominance up about a percent and a half. So congrats to Ave for continuing to dominate. Uh, let's talk about the DPI. This is the best on the week. index. Yeah, the best index. This, these are DeFi tokens, but it's mm -hmm. down on the week. Why, why down? I, I guess the, the pump was really focused on the L1 assets, Ether, and Bitcoin. Um, some tokens have definitely like re recovered since when, when Ether dumped down to 1750, so did a lot of the tokens. Uh, not as a strong recovery in the tokens, but I'm going to call it noise. Elon does not own DeFi yet, so yeah. maybe that's why. Mm -hmm. But I do consider ETH a DeFi asset, Bitcoin too, for that matter. We'll um, talk about this later, but we're, we need to get Elon Musk to get into the bed. We'll talk about <laughs> get into bed. Well, you should probably, well, we'll explain it later. That might okay. not make sense to you right now, but we'll explain mm -hmm. it later, listener. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, th this is interesting. These were two contrasting headlines that uh, we, we picked out this week. The first is this headline, institutional demand for Bitcoin evaporates as Bitcoin struggles below 31K. This is from Cointelegraph. But, juxtapose that. But, okay, juxtapose that with this headline from Blockworks. Fidelity says... This is a survey from Fidelity. 71% of institutional investors plan to buy crypto. Even amidst a major sell-off, the majority of institutional investors surveyed by Fidelity expect to hold or invest in the future. Super interesting. Institutional demand for Bitcoin evaporates. This one's saying institutionals are going all in. <laughs> the majority continue to buy and are holding during this period. What do you make of this contrast? So here's some alpha that came straight out of ETHCC that it can speak directly to this. Uh, and so I talked to two people that, that have privileged information. Uh, one of them is Donnie from Ave. The other one is uh, Santiago from Parify. Uh, and it's Donnie, while I was interviewing him, which is going to be out on the podcast on Monday, so definitely tune into that. Uh, I asked him about Ave Pro, which is actually now going to be called Ave Arc. It's the institutional version of Ave. It's like, it's like the Coinbase. It's a better treasure. name. I like yeah. that name. Yeah, me too. Uh, and it's like it's like Coinbase Treasury, but for Ave. Uh, you know, kind of whitelisted accounts. You mean Compound uh, Treasury? Yes, right. that's what I meant. That's what I meant. Um, uh, and so he said, I asked him, uh, are you building this so that you can then take this to institutions or are you building this because of demand? And he goes, mm. oh, we need, we have to build this because everyone, all these institutions keep on asking for them. And so there's <laughs> institutional demand for Ave Arc, and that is why they are building it rather than the inverse. So that's really important to take away. The other thing I was just talking to, to um, uh, Santiago from Parify Capital, this is in line, line at coffee, casual conversation. And he goes that, you know, uh, institutions and, and funds are hitting us up like every single day, knocking on our door <laughs> to ask questions about Ether, specifically Ether. And he said, uh, and we, we kind of like went down that Specifically Ether? Specifically Ether, right? And, and the, the train of thought was that like Ether just has a lot of surface area for investments. Like funds, they like... They like the tech startup vibe of Ether. They like the, the fact that there's products on Ethereum rather than just Bitcoin, which is, which is just Bitcoin. So Ether and Ethereum as this product-focused thing with all these sur this surface area for investments, that makes them like Ether the asset. And so institutions knocking on the door to ask Santiago, who's a great brain. He's one of the DeFi panelists that we had, so you should also be watching that video, uh, just saying that there is institutional demand for specifically Ether. 
Yeah. Look, look, look I, I, um, I, t- I tend to go where the data goes, right? And like mm-hmm. the, the, those stories are, are definitely uh, important. And so is Fidelity saying seven out of 10 institutional investors hope to gain crypto exposure in the near future. I think the juxtaposition of these headlines is one is just short run, you know, mm-hmm. like you right. got to say something when, uh, you know, price is going down. Uh, and the other is like Fidelity has been doing this survey for a while and they've been mm-hmm. charting it over time. And these numbers are up, up, up mm-hmm. from the last time they did this survey. So look, the institutions are here. Right. Uh, it sounds like they're getting excited about Ether. It sounds like they're getting excited about DeFi. Uh, I don't think they're going anywhere this round. This is the, a real asset class. And the thing is, it doesn't take a lot of institutions to meaningfully move the market. And so that's why you should really still be optimistic. There we go. We are not we are not bullish today, guy. Or we are not bearish today. <laughs> we, maybe 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 we never are. I don't know. Um, we, are, we are literally never bearish. <laughs> <laughs> token terminal. This is super cool. It's hard to be it's hard to be bearish when you see stuff like this, David. Mm-hmm. We are literally seeing a new asset class being birthed um, before our eyes caught this tweet from token terminal this is about uniswap's past year okay we talk about the birth of a new capital asset something that has discounted cash flows that wall street can even value uh trading volume for uniswap over the past year 273 billion in trading volume with a b little tiny protocol 15 people 273 billion dollars unicorn logo Unicorn logo, like weird, like <laughs> weird vibes. Simple interface, like yeah, <laughs> definitely not Wall Street. Definitely not like banker, uh, you know, friendly. I guess LP revenue, eight hundred and twelve million. That's how much liquidity providers made in this protocol. Mm-hmm. Uniswap revenue, one hundred and thirty million. Sixteen percent of uh, LP revenue. The costs for for Uniswap just ten million in grants. Uniswap earnings. Then, if you do the math, there, hundred. Uh, 10 million minus 130 million, 120 million. What is the fully diluted market cap right now? About 12 billion. So what does that make the price to earnings ratio? 102, 102 price to earnings ratio. If you benchmark that with other exchanges, traditional exchanges, you've got CME group that has a PE ratio of 40. You've got the ICE uh, exchange, which is 30. You've got CBOE, which is 27. You've got NASDAQ, that's 28. Super interesting that Uniswap is being priced at a premium, but not at an excessive price to earnings premium to these legacy exchanges that are barely growing, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got Uniswap, which is uh, just just crushing it in terms of, of growth. So also, I would argue like a fair market value based on price to earnings ratio, mm-hmm. uh, maybe undervalued. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's super cool because we've been talking about the birth of a new of, of DeFi as, as capital assets. And here it is. Um, it's happening. We have the numbers. We can do the analysis. We can we can we can show the valuation here. Uh, and uh, man, I'm just like I'm psyched about that. And just one small asterisk, and I'm pretty sure this is true, is that uh, the token terminal tweet says uni revenue as 16% of LP revenue is 130 million dollars. That's once the fee switch gets turned on. So the fee switch is five basis points of uh, fees goes to the protocol, uh, and that would represent 16% of LP revenue. And uh, so that's where they get that number from. Yeah, it, it's kind of like um, you know Facebook pre-revenue before they they put on they turned on all of their you know advertising mm-hmm. models and that right. sort of thing. So you see the growth, you see the potential. They just have to mm-hmm. turn the switch and put it on, but they haven't done that. So it is also somewhat pre-revenue. Um, that's a good asterisk, David. Mm-hmm. All right, man. We are going to get to releases in just a minute, but before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. 
Living a bankless life requires taking control of your own private keys, not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the bankless nation already have their ledger hardware wallets, which makes proper private key management a breeze. But the Ledger ecosystem is more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet and the Ledger live app. And if you're used to seeing all of your crypto services and favorite dApps all in one place, Ledger is where you want to be. Not only does Ledger let you buy crypto assets straight from the app, but it also hooks into decentralized exchange aggregators like Paraswap, which makes sure that you are getting the best prices on your trades without your assets ever leaving your control. DeFi never stops growing and the Ledger Live app grows alongside with it. So click the link in the show notes to see all the DeFi apps that Ledger Live has and stay tuned as more and more apps come online. And if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, what are you even waiting for? Go to ledger.com, grab your ledger, download Ledger Live, and get all of your dApps all in one place. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that is going to completely change how we use DeFi. If you've been using Ethereum for the past 12 months, you've probably noticed the high gas fees and the slow confirmation times that have been plaguing DeFi. Too many people want to use Ethereum and it doesn't have enough capacity for all of us. That's where Arbitrum comes in. Arbitrum is a layer two to Ethereum, which means Arbitrum can increase Ethereum's throughput by orders of magnitude at a fraction of the cost of what we are used to paying. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of security and decentralization. This is why people are calling this Ethereum's broadband moment, where we get to add performance onto decentralization and security. If you're a developer and you want to save on gas costs and make an overall better experience for your users, go to developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps building on Arbitrum. Arbitrum has been working with over 300 teams, including Ethereum's top infrastructure projects, and will be opening up to all users shortly. There are so many apps coming online to Arbitrum, so you may want to pack your bags in preparation for the great migration to the Arbitrum layer two. To keep up to speed with Arbitrum, follow them on Twitter at Arbitrum and join their Discord. All right, guys, we are back with the hot releases this week. We got to start with this one. David, it's finally here. The mm-hmm. Bankless Bed Index. Jump into bed. Now you could say it. Mm-hmm. What, what does that mean? It means we're getting into bed. We're all getting into bed together. You, the listener, we're all getting into bed. Bankless Bed Index, it's live. Wrapped Ether, Wrapped BTC, and the DeFi Pulse Index. 33% each, uh, and that composes the BED index. Uh, I think that this is going to be one of the best passive tokens that you can buy, and uh, the the advantage of buying it is uh, a multi-purpose. Um, it's nice because it's all on Ethereum, so you don't have to own Bitcoin on the Bitcoin blockchain, which, uh, you know, don't tell us to a Bitcoiner, but it's really cumbersome to do that. Just own it on <laughs> Ethereum. Uh, and, and now you can get that portfolio of Ether, the, the store value of Ether, the store value of Bitcoin, and then the Ethereum app layer in DPI. Extremely passive, all-in-one asset, tax-advantaged, uh, very low streaming fees, uh, and uh, Bankless Bed Index brought to you by the Bankless DAO. So nice job, Bankless DAO. Yeah, it's super exciting. I mean, this is basically the Bankless thesis rolled up into one single asset, right? Because it's a bet on crypto monies, and then it's also a bet on uh, DeFi. So it's a bet on the entire uh, banking system. That, that is being created in, in crypto. So uh, super exciting. And what I love about this is um, you could protect your friends from buying stupid, yes. crappy crypto assets mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. FOMOing into things and then selling other things too early. And the way to protect them is like one click, you buy bed. 
And what do you get? You get a taste of DeFi, you get some Bitcoin, which you need, you get some Ether, which you also need, and it's all bundled up into one asset, right? So this is like an ETF, except it's tokenized and all you have to do is own that. So I'm super excited that the tools are available to make a product like this. It's also a cool story that the Bankless DAO actually um, collaborated with Index Co-op, DAO to DAO, to bring this to market and to launch this thing. So save your friends. Mm-hmm. One quick, one click, like no hassle. Just get crypto exposure, set it and forget it. Sleep well at night, mm-hmm. uh, get in bed. That's get all you have bed. to do. Yeah, and I bed. think now that this is out the door and actually on Ethereum, the next step is to turn this into collateral. Uh, and so uh, the, the, the next steps is, is for the Bankless DAO to go reach out to Ave, reach out to Compound, submit, uh, collateral requests for these applications to turn bed into collateral. You know where I'd also like to see it? Right on fiat exchanges. I'd like that to see be cool. bed on Coinbase. I'd like to Yo, see bed Cameron, on Gemini. Tyler, get it on, <laughs> get it on Gemini. <laughs> they will. They need to see the liquidity. It's already almost, uh, close yeah. to 650,000. Uh, that is a just launched, high so. number right out of the gate. Not bad. All right. Who else is releasing things? SushiSwap is mm-hmm. releasing things. Trident. I think they released this at ETHCC. So were you there for the announcement? Do you see this? What what's kind of what what is this thing? What is the buzz? Yeah, I, I followed up with uh, Joseph DeLong, who was the person that announced this at East, uh, at ETHCC. Uh, and so this is actually an a, a a one of the reasons why SushiSwap was always different from Uniswap to begin with is that SushiSwap is not Uniswap. It's not just a fork of Uniswap V2. It is a DAO that it can do anything it wants to do. So it doesn't have to follow the progression of Uniswap. It can take its own path. And so what Sushi has done is they have built out a suite of new products that are completely independent from the original you know, fork of Uniswap V2. And so they, they have these uh, concentrated liquidity pools, which is kind of what Uniswap V3 is doing, but they also have weighted pools, which is kind of like what Balancer is doing. And they got hybrid pools, which is kind of what, what Curve is doing that is specifically good uh, for trading like-kind assets. Uh, they also have this bento box application. And so what you what applications can uh, do is they can build on top of, of uh, SushiSwap and they can deposit uh, assets into SushiSwap. 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 <laughs> And then SushiSwap will credit those applications with those deposits, but then it goes and gets yield in DeFi with those assets while they are also getting liquidity in, in the Pretty AMM. Cool. Uh, and so the, it's just a, a collection of a bunch of the really cool products that we've all been using, but now it's all collapsed and condensed into the SushiSwap protocol. So uh, really, really bullish for, for Sushi. That's a really cool step into a brand new direction. Uh, and it's always just one of the, the one of the, if you buy or are bullish on Sushi token, you're really bullish on their ability to build new, build and ship new products, which they have been proven out to do. Um, Joseph DeLong has been in a Twitter, a fun, like, friendly yeah, what's this? Twi- Twitter is this, chat with Is Dan this Robinson. fun, dude? Is this yes. fun? Because I, uh, I, I saw this. It's, yeah, I mean, why don't you read the tweet? It's pretty fun. Uh, and so Dan Robinson, who is at Paradigm and basically built Uniswap V3, and Joseph DeLong, who is one of the lead devs behind uh, Sushi, uh, they've been having like a Twitter war of sorts. I don't know how how mean it is. I kind of thought it was always like pretty, it's frenemies, frenemies, like you know, good, good, but also hard hitting jabs uh, at each other. And so uh, Joseph DeLong on May eighth. So this has been a, a while in the making. Uh, <laughs> he t- tweets out to Dan Robinson, "I want you to watch me destroy the house you built on seven twenty twenty one, which was ETH CC, and that was two days ago. Uh, and so that was uh, that was the announcement. And so uh, Joseph, you know, fiery, fiery tweets. 
Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of funny to see the rivalry between Uniswap and SushiSwap. I like it because it keeps them both on their toes, to be honest, David. I think like even when we had Hayden on the the um, podcast, uh, mm -hmm. he basically said, yeah, we saw what Sushi was doing with their token. We moved up plans to issue UniToken. That's been mm -hmm. super successful for Uniswap. So I like this little rivalry. As long as it remains friendly, um, we're all trying to build a decentralized financial system, of course. This was interesting to me. I, I read uh, in, in the tweets, part of this announcement, David, um, one existing piece of the roadmap coming post-launch is franchise pools. And these are designed to be compliant KYC AML uh, requirement, compliant with K KYC AML requirements. Think Aave's institutional lending pools. Somewhat interesting, sort of buried in the announcement. It looks like SushiSwap is getting into this institutional DeFi theme as well that we've seen Compound go down the road of, and you just mentioned Ave too. So mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. cool. Team is team continues to ship. Um, David, you know, you know what else I thought was cool this week was this graph uh, was put together by CAD Labs, the CAD Labs org team. But this is like a um, graph of EIP fifteen five nine and the merge. And you can basically model out based on different scenarios like validator adoption or at what date the merge actually happens or how much ETH is actually being burnt, like the GUI price on a, a given day and average. You can actually model um, ETH issuance, right? And see where it gets into deflationary territory. Um, I thought this was super cool education material and uh, pe people can actually like, uh, there, there's a GitHub with this model inside of it. So I encourage the team to like post this on a website so that people can actually start tinkering mm -hmm. with the dials, not have to be developers. Right. Uh, but pretty awesome that this is so close, EIP 1559, and that um, ETH's, ETH's issuance policy, it's, it's, it's monetary uh, policy is really getting, I think, cleaned up and solidified with this move. And that's super exciting. In this screenshot, it looks like they have the dial set to uh, 100 GUE gas environment. Uh, and I, re I remember during DeFi summer when when uh, gas would get down to 100 GUE, people would tweet out on Twitter, yo, gas is below 100 GUE. Like, do your, all your things because that gas is so cheap. <laughs> cheap. Uh, now, now we're in uh, crab season. And so gas is really low. It's been between like 10 and 30. But even at 10 to 30, you're still deflationary. And at 100, if we ever get back to like 100 for, for GUE on, on the Ethereum main chain, Ethereum isn't just like a little bit deflationary. It's really, really deflationary. Yeah, look look at how this. steep that curve is. I mean, granted, this goes out to 2026, but like, I mean, I'm going to be around in 2026. And <laughs> the, the target of hitting 100 million Ether, that looks like we could hit a, a supply floor of 100 million Ether before 2030. That's crazy. That's crazy. Somebody I know once said there is no supply floor in this new, oh, in this new paradigm. <laughs> sounds like a really smart guy. Well, it, I mean, you look, if you set the model, right, it, it's kind of when we had Justin Drake in the podcast, like Ether supply doesn't get above 120 million, very mm -hmm. likely, and could indeed drop um, all the way close to 100 million mm -hmm. over the next five years or so. Really cool to model this out. And uh, of course, it's, it's variable. It's based on validator. Um, it's based on when the merge actually happens and it's based on uh, block space demand. But if you know those variables, like e you can model out exactly what ETH's issuance policy will look like in the future. And we've, we've not been able to do that up to this point. So super cool. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about this. So urine continues to ship. This looks super interesting, David. What are we looking at? Something that assesses the risk mm -hmm. of various urine vaults. 
Right. So you're in Vault, so I have all these various different strategies, and uh, there's different assets and there's different applications for every single Vault. Uh, and so what they what uh, Urine has shipped is like a risk uh, risk management or risk um, disclaimer, I guess. Uh, what, what's the, what's the right way to, to describe this? It's Basically, just like transparency, right? Risk exposure, yeah. Risk risk, exposure. risk transparency, risk risk exposure, and so it tells you for every single vault what uh, the the exposure to specific DeFi apps is, uh, and so uh, as you know, different strategies get uh, built out and deployed to uh, to Urine, it'll tell you is like this strategy is like fifty five percent dependent on Compound and thirty two percent dependent on Sushi Swap, uh, and so it, it it's a great way to just actually transparently look at the risks that you are taking on when you use Urine, and this is something that only you can, you can only do in DeFi. You can only do something yeah. that you can uh, query the Ethereum blockchain and get all of the data you need and so this is like basically a live update system uh because we have all the data at our fingertips and so it's it's like it's like risk in the moment that you need to know it uh so that's pretty cool yeah it's so cool it's like the traditional financial world i don't know if you've ever invested in like a mutual fund but like i i literally still have some uh, mutual funds and they'll uh send me paper copies of what's called a prospectus mm -hmm. right like mm -hmm. once yearly and if you go through like this this book-sized uh, description of everything that's in there, you can maybe glean what the mutual fund is kind of invested in and what the risk exposure is. Mm -hmm. um, this does that automatically in real time, and there's no accountants, no right. lawyers involved. You just query the blockchain. Uh, so crazy, so cool that this can be done. And it's good to see more transparency about mm -hmm. risk, totally. I think, in DeFi, because uh, we, we need some of that in order to make investment decisions. Like, where's the yield coming from? when you deposit USDC in a urine vault, this kind of shows you that. And also one of the big problems with risk disclosures in the legacy world on paper is that it's largely the lawyers just like doing everything that they need to do to CYA, to cover yes. their ass. And, right, and so <laughs> yes. they'll, they'll just put in every single like risk disclaimer possible even if it's like not even like relevant, like, you know, acts of God, like stu stuff, crazy stuff like that. It's, it's like lawyer speak. And this is not that. This is straight up. Let me tell you the actual parameters of the actual protocol in real time with a visualization paradigm shift. Yeah, it's huge paradigm shift. Um, all right, let's talk about this. This is kind of a paradigm shift, I think. Grayscale, which of course they have the Ether E a grayscale trust that you can buy inside of a brokerage in a if you're in US in a retirement account they also have a bitcoin trust product they have just relaunched launched a defi trust product david mm -hmm. so now institutions who maybe for whatever reason can't hold defi assets uh, and custody those defi assets or if you're looking for um, to, to buy DeFi in a brokerage account. You don't want to go the self-directed IRA route, which we recommend, by the way, uh, and custody it yourself. You can actually just buy this product inside of your brokerage account. Now, there's fees associated with it, but I'm pretty impressed by the index and um, and its weightings, right? We've got Uniswap, we've got Aave, we've got Compound. This is sort of a, it looks like some sort of um, market-sized index mm -hmm. of the top maybe 10 or so. DeFi assets. So it, it's cool that this is now becoming available. The other interesting thing about this is that this is a partnership between Grayscale and Coindesk. So Grayscale made the index and Coindesk is, is uh, or Grayscale holds the assets and Coindesk is doing the portfolio like management and ind indices. That's exactly what index co-op is doing 
but on DeFi, and that's what Bankless DAO did with with Index Co-op, right? And so yeah. Bankless or, or DP or D, DeFi Pulse is also doing it. Like in the Index Co-op model is like, hey, we'll actually do the infrastructure, and but you guys make the index, and then you guys market it, right? And so yep. that's what DeFi Pulse did. So they partnered with Index Co-op to make the DPI, and then coin, coin, this is the same thing, but in in legacy finance, which was actually kind of exactly. cool, but also. Uh, what's cooler is doing it in DeFi. Uh, it's so. way cooler. Let's way be cooler. honest. It's way cooler. Like, I don't know why you'd buy this product unless you really had to compared to like probably, a, yeah. a token. Mm -hmm. Regulations, getting it inside of your retirement account if you're an institution. I get it. If you are crypto native, man, mm -hmm. go buy some sets. Right. It's way better. Totally. Totally. The other thing about this is that Uniswap is for a 50% of the whole entire index. That seems a little bit high. Uh, especially oh, I when, just noticed when, that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Aave is at 10%, Compound's at 8%, Why? Cur Curve's at uh. 7%, Maker is at 6%, Sushi's at 4% uh, 4 Synthetics is at 4%. I, if, if I was designing this, is this not thing, market cap weighted then. Yeah. I would have, I would have cut down like Uniswap's a great asset, but like 50%, that's a large uh, allocation. I would have diversified that out a little bit more. Yeah, that, that's interesting, guys. Well, do your due diligence on this uh, if you choose to use it. I'm not sure, actually, now that you mentioned it, David, what the uh, index is based on. They have a link for the uh, index, index methodology right there. So you can click that link in the show notes and then click the link in there to go find out. We're not going to. We're going to move on. <laughs> that's up to you. <laughs> We've got token sets. <laughs> we can do that there. Um, this is cool, David. OKX is uh, a, an exchange, fairly large exchange. They now support polygon mainnet deposits and withdrawals david we said this was going to happen it's happening with polygon a side chain mm -hmm. it's going to happen with rollups layer twos these are additional fiat to roll up fiat to layer two bridges that are starting to come online starting with polygon i love it super mm -hmm. exciting to see this happen okx not an exchange that i've ever used personally i know it has a lot of users but like it's just a harbinger of all mm -hmm. of the other exchanges that are going to flood into providing this fiat gateway directly to layer two. Super cool. So the metaphor that we always use is that DeFi and Ethereum uh, L1 is the Manhattan. Uh, and now with Polygon and the other uh, layer twos, those are like the suburbs. And so, you know, you fly into New York and, and you then you have to take the cars out to the suburbs because, you know, the, in the Ethereum metaphor, there's only Manhattan. There's nothing else in the world exists. But now this is like a, we have a new airport that's dedicated out for the suburbs. So when you fly into the world of crypto and you're coming from your centralized exchanges to, to get over the hump into the into the crypto world, you actually now have the option to not actually land in Manhattan and you can go in straight and, and land in the suburbs. Uh, and so that's the metaphor there. You can land in the suburbs. You can live there. You can mm -hmm. shop there. You can yeah. do all of your commerce there. If you want to pay the extra Uber ride and right. get to Manhattan, you can, but you don't have to. Yep. Manhattan Super is cool. now optional. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, let's talk about this. Oh, my God. I can't. Oh God. So um, Axe Body Spray. Do you remember Axe Body Spray? Uh, um, yes, in middle school. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to smell like a middle school locker room, I mm -hmm. guess you can do so with crypto now because Axe Body Spray has just come out with Dodge Can. A, a, a Doge, Doge Can, sorry. Doge Can, uh, Doge body spray i guess i'm not i have no idea what that smells like if that smells like uh success or mooning or mm -hmm. it's, it says a crypto scent with a dank musk um had to include this one not super oh important God. but <laughs> i would love What's to know what, what a crypto scent is what what do you think crypto scent smells like i have no clue i'm almost curious enough to buy this 
Um, yeah, a little bit actually. Okay, and so that that's my take here is that this is why I actually think Doge has way stronger fundamentals than what people give it credit for. Because companies like Axe or like Taco Bell gives out free promos for, for Dogecoin holders yeah, or whatever. free marketing. How much it's would free, you pay for this? It's free marketing. It if got, you're Tron, it, how much would you pay for this? I have no clue, but a lot of money, right? And so yeah. Axe, Axe, who, who you know, I don't know who follows the Axe Twitter account, but this tweet got 2,200 retweets and almost 8,000 likes. People use Doge for engagement and they, and they do it consistently. And that's the fundamentals behind Doge and why Doge, I actually think is kind of an underappreciated asset yeah it's uh it's hilarious is this is this crypto culture david is this what you're talking about when you're talking yeah, about crypto culture <laughs> i guess so this wasn't really exactly what i had in mind but okay it's, i guess it's what i signed up for uh it's something seeping into uh into mainstream all right moving on uh let's talk about immutable they have just a launched uh announced the launch of imx a token that is going to power the growth of layer two for nfts on ethereum this is some cool tech behind Immutable, what they're doing with, with Layer 2, and I guess a token to economically power that. David, what's the scoop here? Yeah, so this is part of the Layer 2 summer narrative, the, the thing that we all thought was happening. Uh, and so the IMX token, the token that powers the Immutable Layer 2, uh, is getting released. Uh, it's not released yet. It's going to be released in the future. So I guess this is an announcement of a future release date or something. Um, but um, this is the, the whole concept is that layer twos are probably going to have tokens too. And those things need to be owned by the community. And so they want to get the IMX tokens you know, distributed. Maybe they do yield farming. Uh, we'll see the details for the token distribution are in the post. Uh, we had uh, Robbie Ferguson from the Immutable team on, a, on DeFi apps on layer two panel forever ago. It was a fantastic panel. Uh, and we, we also had um, uh, representatives from synthetics and and loopring there as well, uh, and uh, it, and so congratulations to the team to to get this out the door. Uh, I'm stoked to to have the token out in the wild. Disclaimer: I'm a, an investor in the token. What's cool about this is it's uh, zk roll up tech, right? Which is different mm -hmm. uh, specifically for NFTs, which we haven't right. seen. And of course, Immutable is the company behind Gods Unchained, so you can at mm -hmm. least expect Gods Unchained to adopt this. Probably many other uh nft nft um games and mm -hmm. and marketplaces as well and this is um, also part of nft renaissance this is some of the nft building during the nft bear market and why people are still really bullish on nfts and nft infrastructure this is stuff like that let's talk releases david so the first is visor finance um visor finance is just gotten 3.5 million in funding from one confirmation this is an active management protocol mm -hmm. so I think the idea here is 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 generally becoming sort of a, a more active manager of something like Uniswap V3. And do you remember when we had Hayden Adams on? He talked about the advent of these right. professional market makers on uh, the new Uniswap V3 curves. It, it takes a bit more skill to to come up with the right um, liquidity setting for Uniswap V3. It seems like Visor is trying to execute on that. Totally, totally. And this is going to, this. the cool thing about Uniswap, it has so much surface area for stuff like this, Uniswap V3. But also the bad thing about Uniswap V3 was that it killed lazy liquidity providers. Like in Uniswap V2, all you had to do is throw in your assets and you could be an LP. There was no, there was no competition. Uh, and so it really democratized access to being a market maker. It also was really capitally inefficient. And so there was trade-offs with Uniswap V3. 
we have way more liquidity in Uniswap v3, but now it's super competitive, kind of pushes out the small guy. But then protocols built on top of Uniswap v3 come back and re-enable lazy liquidity providing for people who just want to collect the fees and don't want to be pressing the buttons all the time. Uh, so I expect this product to be in, in pretty well used. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about this and really excited about this uh, segment developing because providing liquidity to Uniswap v3 is challenging. Mm -hmm. Like it's not for the mm -hmm. faint of heart and you have to constantly sort of adjust your position and know exactly what you're doing. Uh, so it can be tricky and anything that democratizes that is I think a step forward, particularly for the passive investor. Um, let's talk about this massive raise, absolutely massive open C NFT marketplace just secured a hundred million in their series Insane. B. That's a round valued at 1.5 billion. This is like the first NFT marketplace unicorn that I've seen. Incredible valuation. OpenSea's been crushing it. So, mm -hmm. so well-deserved. Also, um, wow, like billion dollar valuations for Ethereum applications, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, not just not just layer one chains, which is what mm -hmm. we saw more in 2017, 2018. That's a shift too. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your take on this? Yeah, it's and it's a 1.5 billion dollar valuation without a token. You know, usually the the, yes. uni, the the unicorns that come out are come out because tokens just have some sort of premium to them. This is a pre-token. I don't even know if they have plans for a token. I hope they do. What do you um, think? They gotta have plans for they, a token, right? Yeah. How how do you not have? It? Everyone wants tokens. Tokens are product market fit. Uh, and so maybe maybe this is like the last uh, round that they do before they do a token. This is just speculation. Uh, but yeah, 1.5 billion dollars. Congrats, guys. Uh, remember we were talking about last week that, um, SBF wanted to buy JP Morgan, right? Mm -hmm. At that time, valuation was lower, but apparently now FTX valuation is 18 billion in their newest funding round. I, if I recall correctly, JP Morgan is still 130 billion. So SBF has a ways to go, mm -hmm. but this is an absolutely massive, um, valuation round and take a look at the investors involved. There are a whole bunch of hedge funds. Paul Tudor Jones, Alan Howard, Third Point, Millennium, were all among those participating in this in this funding. They are definitely piling into crypto bank investing mm -hmm. at this point in time. Absolutely massive round. What's your take? Also, SoftBank, big big uh, investor as well, which is always interesting to see what the, what they are throwing their money at. Um, it looks like FTX going to be here to stay. Yeah. So, what do you think they're going to take on uh, J.P. Morgan? They're not going to buy J.P. Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> Guys, those will, are the raises. My sock. There, oh, don't promise that, David. It's just a sock. It could be worse. Other people <laughs> okay. have promised worse things in this industry. <laughs> yes, I recall. <laughs> um, David, let's talk about the jobs of the week, man. The jobs mm -hmm. board is hopping this week. We've got a senior solidity engineer in demand from Quant Finance. We've got a chief investment officer that Yield App needs. Mm -hmm. We've got a software engineer that Arbitrum is looking for. Also, senior designer from Pool Together. Man, the talent market is hot, guys. If you are looking for a job in crypto, now is the time to get on that. Uh, demand is in, in shortage. You know, la la labor supply can kind of, mm -hmm. you know, uh, set the terms right. and they want you. So take a look at that. If the jobs link will include that in the show notes, lots of great companies, lots of great protocols hiring. There are 31 jobs available on the job board of all different types of labor and skill set. So go check it out if you want to work in crypto. And like Ryan said, and, I've, and this is what I've been experiencing at ECC, everyone is talking about how finding and, and retaining talent is difficult, which means that you have the ball in your court uh, and you have the advantage as the person with talent 
Uh, and so get a job, go to the bankless job board. All right, let's talk about some news of the week. You know, we got to start here with Elon Musk. So we mentioned mm -hmm. that in the, in the market section. So apparently, did you see the conversation that Elon Musk had with uh, Kathy Wood? I think Jack Dorsey was there too. Right. Yeah. Was um, it a, a Twitter event? Was that the deal? I, I, was, I wasn't there. Yeah. I'm not sure. It was the B word conference. Uh, I, I missed it, but I saw some of the headlines. I think one of the major headlines was Elon actually came out and said the crypto assets that he owns. So uh, outside of his company stock, Tesla and SpaceX, he said he owns just three crypto assets. And those are Bitcoin, no surprise, Dogecoin, no surprise, and Ether. Mm -hmm. Surprise. I was surprised well, by that. I was not really surprised. Like he's tweeted about Ethereum before, but yeah, everyone yes. was, was looking for confirmation that Elon Musk does indeed own Ether. He's never actually stated it before. Now, he did say he has much more Bitcoin than Ether or Doge, which is also mm -hmm. probably not a surprise. Um, so this this made waves, I guess. I mean, people mm -hmm. like to know what Elon owns and like right. to, to ape into those investments. I think they also talked about a number of other things. Um, Bitcoin as a, a base layer of the, mon the monetary system. Um, Elon says it, it can't be by itself a base layer for the world monetary system but it could be on a layer two, depending on how it's implemented. They talked about some energy production, proof of work sort of right. thing. I'm gonna go catch up on that uh, That conversation. Sounds like it was at least interesting. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts here? Yeah, it's always interesting to see what Elon has to say. Uh, I'm kind of worried that like Bitcoiners are like hopping right back into like, you know, Elon. Elon's in our- in, Billionaire we, worship. We, we, like, we like Elon again, because now he's saying good things instead of bad things. And so yes. I think we learned our lesson. Um, you know, he's just a guy. He's just a guy. He's just a guy figuring he, this out like everyone else. It is interesting that he owns zero other equity assets other than his own companies though. That is kind of interesting. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty interesting portfolio right there. Mm -hmm. It's Tesla, SpaceX, Bitcoin, ETH, and Doge. That's Dude, what he owns. It's, it's the millennial portfolio. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Zoomer portfolio right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Let's talk about this. Ether is, Ethereum is settling $8 trillion in transactions this year. That's trillion with a capital T. I think we may have mentioned this on the last roll-up. What's super interesting to me is um, Jerome Powell, in a congressional hearing, he said that cryptocurrencies have completely failed as a payment system. I caught that. Completely failed as a crypto system. What? Yet Ethereum is on track to settle $8 trillion in transactions this year. It's $2.5 trillion so far. But if it just basically continues in the way it's been going, $8 trillion in transaction. We must have a different definition right. of what failed means. Because... Eight trillion in settlement on a global peer-to-peer -peer permissionless network. Mm -hmm. That is nothing to scoff at, even if you're a central right. banker like Jerome Powell. What what do you make of this? Is this just like unaware? Is this intentionally misleading? Is this, you know, yes. ostrich with his head in the sound? Is yeah, what is this? What why I, is I bet Powell you, saying this kind of thing? I bet you eight trillion dollars that Powell has <laughs> never made a crypto transaction. Like is the only explanation. Everyone in this industry jokes about going to banks and making money transfers. And like all, all funds are just like, please just send us stable coins. If you want to invest in us, send us stable coins, uh, seed investors, 
We use stable coins. Like everyone just uses stable coins. It's way easier to use stable it's way coins. Way better. It's, it's, the UX is just uh, orders of magnitude improvement. This has been a constant theme between you and I ever since we started Bankless. It's like, it's just easier to use crypto. What the hell does completely failed even mean? Like, no, you're just saying random words, Powell. Like, get out of here. Yeah, it's like every time I have to write a check, I wrote this in the Market Monday this week. I, mm-hmm. um, It's just like, why are we writing paper checks? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. 2021. You know, and we're still writing paper checks and we're waiting days for ACH uh, transfers to settle. We're, we're actually signing them with a pen. We're <laughs> what? I don't even own a pen. <laughs> the legacy banking system feels like it completely failed. It's failed to innovate for the last 15 years. How long have we had the internet, David? Right. We're still writing <laughs> with a physical pen on a pen check. And paper? What? We have US. computers now. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand how people can think that the U.S. has the best banking system in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is not even a debate about centralization versus mm-hmm. decentralization, which we can have that debate. It's just a, a debate about like shitty banking mm-hmm. and like good banking. And Sorry. the U.S. has shitty banking right now. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, pal. Yeah. Plus, we'll, we'll revisit this subject when we talk about MasterCard later in this weekly roll-up. But we'll, we'll yeah, moving on. It's- Let's let's move to uh, happier news. This is cool. MakerDAO has come full circle. That's mm-hmm. the post headline. You know more about this. You're actually with the team this week. Mm-hmm. What's happening with MakerDAO? Yeah, so the MakerDAO Foundation is finally dissolving, and this has been on the roadmap for forever. And Maker has been very much a move slowly and cautiously uh, kind of vibe. That's that's their that's their deal. Uh, and so the foundation is finally dissolving. the The foundation has spun out into what they are calling core groups, and so there are the DAO is being a DAO, right? And so um, people are taking the leadership of different so, sort of like micro DAOs, and this is how sophisticated Maker is. And, and people really just underappreciate Maker and what it's done. Maker DAO is now a DAO of micro DAOs. And so there's different core groups, which are like the DAOs, like little DAOs inside of the overall bigger Maker DAO. And each one is taking on certain responsibilities and roles. Just like how Bankless DAO has um, guilds, uh, Maker DAO has core groups. Uh, and so the Maker Foundation is, is finally dissolved. So people no longer are employees for the foundation and they are now taking the reins for the DAO and they have to now go to MKR token holders and ask for permission uh, to to have uh, funding for their core group. Uh, and so that's that's what's going on. And, and so the whole, uh, the, uh, the Maker DAO is now going full circle is, is actually because when uh, MakerDAO was started, it was started with tokens on Ethereum, and then they made the foundation because they thought that they needed to start this thing off as a centralized company. And then they have finally dissolved the centralized company and they are going back to tokens. Uh, And so they've gone full circle. Congratulations to MakerDAO. This was the plan all along. And so shout out to Rune and the the leadership at Maker. They had this vision from like 2015 or 2016 when they started MakerDAO and they haven't wavered in this in this path. Uh, and so the MakerDAO story, I think, is one of the most underappreciated and undertold stories in all of Ethereum. Uh, and I'm going to see if I can figure out how to like weave this story together because so many different like stakeholders in the Maker ecosystem have only their side of the story of what what has happened over the last four or five years of MakerDAO because it's a really awesome one. Yeah, I think it's really awesome. And look, a lot of people were skeptical that Rin Christensen and the leadership would actually leave. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know people called him sort of a like a, maybe a benevolent, but a dictator, right? Mm-hmm. And like, do dictators ever, uh, you know, leave powerful positions? Mm-hmm. And here he is doing what he said he would do, the community doing exactly what it said it would do. 
I'm just impressed that Maker kind of set out with a mission six years ago has kind of delivered on that mission, right? Mm -hmm. Like Dai itself um, has, uh, you know, there there are some things that aren't amazing about it, right? The, the fact that it's part like largely collateralized by USDC at this point in time. I have a take on but, that if you want it, by the way. Okay, like, so I, I want that take, but like that aside, this is exactly what they said they were going to create with multi-collateral DAI and they delivered it and they did it at a time. This is one of the, the this is one of the first DeFi projects I ever use. It's when I had a magic moment with, with DeFi, when I realized, oh my God, I can get a collateral backed lend loan without going to a bank and filling out paperwork with a right. few like clicks and mm -hmm. even the janky interface they had at the time. It's like mind blowing to me. Mm -hmm. I know you kind of got your start in crypto too, at least right. down the rabbit hole, actually writing about Maker. Right. This is a very special project. Uh, and it's really cool to see them make this progress and, uh, and completely decentralize and basically keep their commitment to the community. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, they have not skipped a beat. They have not missed a step at, at all. Uh, and yeah, like, like you said, before I started writing about Ethereum and Ether, I was actually writing about MakerDAO and MKR, just because that's kind of what captured my attention to begin with. Uh, going back to how 60% of DAI is backed by USDC, I was talking to a, a few people from, from the team there, and they, they completely understand that it's a trade-off and it's like less than ideal. But the trade-off is, do you want a stable DAI? And have uh, and have it be backed by USDC, or do you want an unstable die and have it be backed by like non uh, non uh, centralized crypto yep. assets? I basically, it. it was a trade off for stability versus you know purity in the in the collateral. And as a stable coin, you got to promote stability. Uh, you had so to pick one. It's a trade off. You, had to you, pick you one. can't have yeah. everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally mm -hmm. understand. This is the legacy they left too. The financial legacy they left. Mm -hmm. um, you can kind of see that their uh, quarterly earnings. Uh, our triple digit percentage growth. So they've produced 43 million in earnings up to, uh, to Q1, uh, maybe Q2, 2021. So, you know, pretty impressive financial growth too. Um, just all around great protocol, great story. And a great group of people too. They're one of my favorite, the MakerDAO community is like one of my favorite groups of people in this place. Every time I go to a crypto event, as I am right now, and MakerDAO throwing event, I go to the MakerDAO event. It's like the best group of people. Shout out. That's awesome. All right. This is kind of cool. The ETH documentary, Ethereum documentary mm -hmm. we mentioned last week was completely funded, $2 mm -hmm. million in funding. Uh, David, I think you have a story about these guys because you met them actually mm -hmm. at ETHCC. What's going on? Yeah, I'm in the documentary. I mean, they they, uh, <laughs> they filmed me interviewing Vitalik and Aya Mayaguchi and uh, a few other people at, at ECC. Uh, and, and so they, they, it's really, really cool to see like full production, like big, heavy cameras, boom mics going around the Ethereum world. Uh, and so I'm really stoked for a high about time. Yes. It's a, it's about damn time. Uh, and re really excited to see what they put together. The name, the infinite garden of the movie is absolutely fantastic. Shout out to Mariano Conti, who's number three of the funders for this movie. And Mariano Conti was the lead smart contracts at MakerDAO. Uh, and so, like I said, amazing community. And he, he's super excited that he's the number three funder of this whole entire project. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing this movie when it comes out. Uh, Ryan, I, I, I met with the uh, director while here at ECC, and, and she said she wants to talk to us. Hmm, hmm. Interesting. TPD. Yeah. Yeah. to discuss that. All right, masterpiece. What is this? This is in our mm -hmm. NFT section. Um, is this a new NFT platform? 
Yeah, this uh, I don't I don't know if it's new. I actually just met the guy here at ETC. ETH, God damn, ETC is so hard to say. ETCC, uh, and he showed me this website, and I thought it was really cool. And so I just kind of wanted to shout it out. It's masterpiece.so, and he kind of branded it as like the Coin Market Cap or Coin Gecko for NFTs. And so if you want to like figure uh. out what NFTs are, and like you want to show your friends what NFTs are, masterpiece.so is a great website to point them towards. It's kind of so. This is an aggregator of yeah. NFT platforms, basically. Yeah. It's like a catalog of NFTs. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Very cool. Mm -hmm. um, all right, let's talk regulation and traditional finance. The first is, well, actually, before we do, let's talk about Bitcoin stuff. <laughs> uh, Jack Dorsey is launching a new Square division that will create uh, DeFi. It's DeFi um, offerings, apparently. Mm -hmm. We're not sure the details of this. Um, but he made it very explicit that this is DeFi on Bitcoin, likely Bitcoin only. Uh, so it's interesting because it's Jack Dorsey and also mm -hmm. Jack Dorsey, of course, not just CEO of Twitter, but also I think he's still CEO of Square, mm -hmm. a very influential uh, pay payment processor, payment platform in the US, of course. And he is getting into DeFi, but doing it on Bitcoin. What's the take here? Yeah, the, the take here is he's just trying to make Ethereum. Uh, and so uh, th that was basically he got blown up on Twitter in the comments by all the Ethereum people. It's like, dude, you're making Ethereum. Just just admit it. Uh, and uh, is he, though? Because Ethereum is decentralized, right? Like it feels mm -hmm. like he wants to maybe make a crypto bank like a right. BlockFi, but just call it DeFi. Right. Or that, that launch a side chain mm -hmm. and call it DeFi. Mm hmm. And I, I thought that's this is what Sovereign is doing. Why is the, the take here is like, why is it so goddamn hard to do DeFi on Bitcoin? Is why are we doing Ethereum in the first place is, is the answer to that question. Like, it's hard to do DeFi on Bitcoin. It actually perhaps, perhaps is impossible. So, uh, Jack, just give it up, man. Just give it up. It's not happening. It's not but happening. Also come on I, bank, I want, I want DeFi to be on Bitcoin but it literally is not capable of being built on Bitcoin. And that's what we realized. And that's what we realized like six years ago. And that's why we have Ethereum. But so why this insistence then? Is it just, I'm Jack Dorsey, Bags. I own a lot of Bitcoin and... Bags. Okay, that's it. I oh mean... My that's my very I, I unsophisticated I, take. I can't find a different explanation that, that right. makes sense. But we'll mm -hmm. see what Jack comes up with. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe, maybe he's got something brewing there that we don't know right. about um, mm -hmm. to be continued. All right, back to regulation and uh, TradFi. MasterCard is using Circle, that's USDC, for a settlement pilot. So this is payment networks like credit card companies. We've already heard Visa doing a lot in this space, starting to use stable coins. Good sign for adoption. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is what I was talking about with Jerome Powell, who said that cryptocurrencies have completely failed as a settlement network. Well, MasterCard, which is literally a payments company, is experimenting with USDC for a pilot. Uh, and so... Watch what people are doing, not what you know regulators are saying. Like, see what's actually being going, what's, what's actually happening in the real world. And in the real world, Mastercard and USDC are moving closer and closer together. Let's talk about what's actually in USDC and Tether. Some informa uh, interesting information came out about that. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Like, mm -hmm. but when you own one USDC, you don't actually just own one dollar that's redeemable in a bank. Um, so USDC has had a recent audit, 61% of every dollar in USDC is cash and cash equivalents, right? Mm -hmm. So that is a dollar in a bank account somewhere. 13% is certificates of deposit, 12% is treasuries, 9% commercial paper, 5% corporate bonds, and then just a little bit municipal bonds and US agencies. All in all, 
a very conservative backing right. for USDC. But it's interesting that it's not just straight like dollars in right. a bank account. There are some high, like mildly higher yield assets mm -hmm. that are bundled in this thing too. And that's just being financially prudent. Now, USDC releases these audits, um, I believe now maybe like regularly, I'm not sure if it's monthly. And uh, Jeremy Lair, the CEO, talked about actually oracleizing this, David. Mm -hmm. So like publishing some of this information on chain. Uh, so maybe that sort of creates a, another audit trail for USDC. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not just a dollar in a bank account. It is composed right. of some other assets that you are trusting. Now, what's interesting is we could talk about this in a second. Contrast that to Tether. Right. <laughs> they have a, a much more diverse and risky mm -hmm. set of assets that are supposedly backing. Allegedly. We don't even know. Allegedly. Yeah. Um, but this is what you're buying when you are buying mm -hmm. a stablecoin like USDC. Uh, I find this kind of interesting. Yeah, so there's two takes that I have here. Uh, one one take is that well, this is just straight up the circle business model, right? Like very low, very pretty low yields on a lot of supply, and so twenty two billion dollars, even just a couple basis points uh, of interest that they get behind the scenes with all of their with all their money, is actually pretty lucrative and also a relatively simple business model. Uh, and uh, what was my other take? Oh yeah, my other take. Uh, you talked about how. Um, how Jeremy Allaire wants to protocolize uh, the the uh, or oracleize the actual treasury reporting and audits. Uh, the the rumor I've heard is that he's just trying to really just get ahead of regulations, and he knows mm. that like it's coming anyways. Smart. And so I'm just gonna do it. He's just gonna do it himself. And so yeah, very smart, and also just really a really good look for the industry. Good looks for the industry, but this is a bad look for the industry. I think Tether. Um, I don't know if you've heard Jim Cramer from Mad Money, CNBC host. Uh, is uh, grilling Tether and has mm -hmm. been you know, talking smack about Tether for the last few weeks. Uh, and it's because he's basically like, we don't know what's inside of Tether. This is a Tether general counselor, counselor telling Jim Craner, Kramer on CNBC that an audit is months away. So like, it's still months away. I don't know why this is so difficult unless... Right. <laughs> Unless they, they have fix, some shady fix dealings, some stuff, yeah. fix some stuff first, mm -hmm. right? Like USDC has an audit. And th this goes back to like, um, we all have choices over what assets we use, what stable coins we use. I'm not sure why people would, would uh, choose Tether over USDC in like, in like any kind of legitimate case. But Tether is still larger than USDC. Do you understand mm -hmm. this? Is this just the Binance exchange kind of effect? I thought USDC would flip in Tether like months ago, sometime this mm -hmm. year anyway, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Um, the thing is like Tether has such a strong Lindy effect that I think it's kind of here to stay. And there has been like probes into Tether that um, you know were done by like, I think the New York uh, attorney general a while ago and they come up and they didn't find anything, which like kind of ease a lot of people's minds. But yeah, just the overall, the lack of options for and taking a peek under the hood is decently concerning and also kind of like, a magnet for regulation uh, of this industry and what concerns me is that like regular there could be a world where like regulation begets regulation so like tether gets like you know regulated and then that that just starts a whole process of even more regulation so i'm a little bit worried about that well maybe we'll skip to this this has been a off-sited um white paper actually in in congress congressional hearings this week um called taming wildcat stable coins right and so this is a paper uh, put together from the Yale School of Management. Anyway, the TLDR of this paper from academics is that they want tethers and they want USDCs 
to actually charter a banking license and to be regulated as banks. And of course, this would um, put a ton of uh, regulatory infrastructure. This would essentially make the banks, only banks could be the issuers and, and owners of stable coins. And this puts a lot of like regulatory overhead that's probably not needed on top of uh, stable coins. And um, yeah, anyway, the industry is dealing with this among other regulatory pushes this week. And uh, it's kind of concerning to me on, on that story of yeah. just the, the recent vitriol against stable coins. Yeah, we'll see what comes out of this. This definitely feels like MMT energy and statism, which is definitely antithetical to crypto. Uh, so we'll see where this goes. All right. Um, New Jersey Attorney General issues cease and desist order against multi-billion dollar Bitcoin financial service provider. This is BlockFi that they're talking about, cease and desist order. I think the crux of this is New Jersey... Uh, um, Attorney General is saying that the BlockFi interest accounts might be securities. What? Not, not awesome. How does that work? How are they securities? I, I mean, I I don't know. I don't, I don't know what know. their argument is. Um, right. But here's that's a Jake Trevinsky. That's definitely take. less than ideal that this is happening. The Bureau's action comes amid rising concerns. This is a quote from the, uh, the action itself. The Bureau's action comes amid rising concerns over the proliferation of decentralized financial platforms like block BlockFi. Mm -hmm. So New Jersey actually thinks BlockFi is DeFi. Which and Jake Travinsky says that's how a, badly we need to educate our regulators. As a DeFi bro, that's kind of funny uh and also terrifying at the same time. Uh it, it's it's just like granted when you come into the space, like you just don't know how to use the words correctly. Uh but again that's why Jake is saying we have to educate our regulators. What what is concerning is that like are they going after BlockFi because they think they are DeFi? Because does that mean that DeFi is in the crosshairs or BlockFi is in the crosshairs? Who's in the crosshairs here? I can't really tell. Um, but I don't uh, know either. I don't. Right. Do you think they know? Do you think regulators are just? I have, I have no clue. This this story definitely needs to get uh, like unpacked and like evolved. Uh, is it going to have to be a wait and see type thing? Zach Prince, CEO of BlockFi, thinks they're going to be fine. Uh, they remain optimistic through this, but well, we will see as that story he, he would, evolves. He would think that though, wouldn't he? <laughs> You'd have to say that if you're Zach Prince, definitely. Um, let's talk about this. Binance is ditching stock tokens. Binance these, squeeze. Yeah, these are like synthetic uh, stock tokens that they recently, right. I think, announced that they right. were going to um, start trading on, on Binance. And this is like the ability to buy a synthetic Apple on Binance. Who do you have to trust? You have to trust sort of Binance in order to do that. Uh, they are ditching that entire plan in order to, I think, uh, quell some of the regulator concerns recently. Yeah, this is the, the third week in a row where the Binance squeeze has been a theme. Uh, Binance, they just got uh, squeezed out of one of their products by regulators. Uh, and so the Binance squeeze tightens. David, we're going to talk a bit more about regulatory takes when we get to the subject. But first, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure that you're getting the best possible price on your trade and that you aren't paying high gas costs that you could have otherwise avoided. That's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and gives you the best possible prices without taking any commissions. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your order across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that it gets you better pricing. 
Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single easy to use platform. Matcha also allows for you to make limit orders on chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. New to Matcha is an integrated fiat on ramp, so you can purchase crypto directly with your credit or debit card and have that fiat be instantly traded for any token that has liquidity. When you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. All right, guys, we are back with the takes of the week. Let's start with this one from Jason Choi. Does this feel like 2018 to you? He says, some of you weren't around in the 2018 crypto bear market. Here's what it felt like to him. He said, everyone was bitter on Twitter. DeFi wasn't even a thing. NFT was just a few guys bag holding crypto kitties. Just a few discords active. That's it. Many investors in the space completely abandoned tokens. They pivoted to equity. Small crypto funds shut down left and right. People went back to tech and traditional finance. Media attention completely dried up. Crypto Twitter traders who LARP as VCs and builders today were just mostly shitposting, had nothing else to do besides right. that. Uh, even people within crypto stopped producing content. Fundraising was tough. Investors wouldn't pay a dime for today's tier one projects. Um, on the good side, you had some time to build, but on the bad side, that's all what 2018 felt like. Mm -hmm. I think he's painting this picture, David, to kind of contrast. Some people are saying we're in a, in a bear market now. Right. And he is painting this picture, I think, to contrast what a real bear market feels right. like versus where we are now. I'm curious, you were there in 2018. Mm -hmm. Like, does this, um, does this land with you? Is this what a bear market feels like? How did you feel in 2018 versus how you're feeling like now? Yeah. How did I feel in 2018? I was, so in 2018, I was still like in my learning process about crypto. I was still like coming to terms with what crypto is. And so that was still exciting for me. And that's the difference between people that like, you know, only come for the bull markets versus the people that were born in the bear markets. Uh, but yeah, like, like a lot of what we know of today was built and like established in 2018, 2019 by the people that stuck around. And it does this era right now in crypto does not feel like that at all. There's still a ton of attention. There's still a ton of energy, news cycle events, just like, you know, tw tweets going into the mainstream, Elon Musk tweeting about crypto still like, no, this does not feel like 2018 at all. Granted, like, you know, we're still on the, the you know, 
the recent super highs of 60,000 Bitcoin and, and 4,000 uh, ETH is still like rel relatively recent. And so like in theory, if we kept on going down and longer, that's what this would turn into. Uh, so it's, it's it, maybe it's not the right comparisons. But yeah, the, the 2018 bear market was absolutely brutal in terms of a price action, but also I think really, really rich in terms of the people there. Uh, and in his number five tweet, he talked about like only a few people were producing content uh and uh, or number four was it uh but like the people that remained in in the the world of crypto in during the bear markets were like the people that you definitely want to uh to hang out with right because those are the other people who are definitely in it to win it over the long term uh and and i actually still feel like I, I see that now i feel that like that energy now i think the difference right now is that people are coming into crypto even with these like slightly down prices that we've seen right and so i think the amount of like uh, the, the snowball of crypto is rolling and rolling and it's already it's already hit escape velocity and more and more people are going to come into this industry regardless of prices just because there's so much more things to do here uh, and that is a very like very different from what we saw in 2018. Totally agree totally different feeling right now even though we're off all-time highs by a decent amount than 2018. 2018 just the the level of <laughs> um like sadness, like every crypto was dead at the time. Yeah. Ethereum was mm -hmm. dead. DeFi would never mm -hmm. work. It was never coming back. It was just this niche thing that blew up with with ICOs. No one was talking about it mm -hmm. at all. Completely different feeling than where we are now. So um, yeah, echo that sentiment. The, the last thing I'll say is that in 2018, we felt like there was, it felt like we were in like a Schrodinger's position of like, everyone was really, really like excited and bullish and optimistic about the future because we saw that there was these really cool things happening in ethereum and DeFi, yet the prices were just completely separated from that yeah and, right? and when when prices separate from what you see as fundamentals like you wake up you wake up every day and you're just like am i wrong right and you're like and then you dig in and you're like no i can't be wrong right like uh -huh. this is the future i'm absolutely not wrong you start using this stuff and right. it, but it's a it's a it's a constant um assault right. i guess because you don't, you don't have assurances about if you're right or not until the markets actually turn around, right? So like, exactly. am I crazy Am I for thinking that this Uniswap thing is That's absolutely groundbreaking? Like. It's like, am I yes. crazy for this? Why do I, why do I think this is so cool? And why does no one else think this is cool? Why does no one else think this is a big deal? Why is no right. one paying attention mm -hmm. to this? And look, if the markets um, say you're wrong for long enough on mm -hmm. a long time horizon, you're wrong. Right. Right? Like if that goes on for... I don't know. I don't know what the time all span is. All of your is. life. All of your life. All of yeah. your life. <laughs> yeah. You were definitely wrong. And it, it is important <laughs> as an investor to like peel away from wrong decisions and not mm -hmm. delude yourself into um, something that the market is clearly into. That, that's why that's why it was so difficult. It's a completely different feeling now. Market totally. the market's still validating this, but so is mainstream. And we, we don't have the level of, of depression and sadness we had in 2018. That's um, true. Maybe it's because of this. David, why don't you read this next tweet? Yeah, uh, this tweet uh, from Kiao Wang, crypto is the uh, first genuinely new asset class since the 17th century. Let that sink in. And that's that's kind of like what I always felt like in, in 2018 is like, it doesn't matter. Like it, I'll, I'll always like have my insecurities about whether like this is actually just going to be a niche thing and crypto isn't going to take over and I'm spending all this time in this industry. But, but wait a second, crypto is a new asset class and it's the first new asset class in like 400 years. Like whatever that is, sounds exciting. Uh, and so I'm here for it. I'm here for it too. Uh, but these could be some headwinds mm. in, in the short run. This is from Jake Trevinsky, who we quoted before when he was talking about um, 
the New Jersey, yeah, BlockFi uh, issue. But he says, I don't have much hopium for you. It is how it looks. Pretty grim. That's how he starts this tweet. And uh, for background, we've had Jake Travinsky on the show. He is uh, formerly legal counsel at uh, Compound. Actually, he might still be legal counsel. No, he's at a Variant Fund now. Uh, Variant Fund now. Okay. And um, he, but but he's very plugged into the regulatory landscape. Talks to to regulators, legislators, often very just plugged into that world. And for him to say he doesn't have much hope is is kind of uh, concerning to me. Right. Now, mm-hmm. Jake has always been one to to like basically raise the flag on we need to educate regulators and yeah. we need to educate the world about this. So I think part of this is a message for crypto. Look, um, we should be worried because our regulators and our government institutions don't actually understand crypto. So I think this is part partially him raising the flag and saying, we need to work harder to educate um, you know, those, those in power, those in charge. But also, I think it's him reacting to some of the news about right. stable coins this week, yep. New Jersey, um, BlockFi, like the Binance squeeze, all of these things kind of compounding together to maybe put a, a vice right. on the crypto industry and like marginalize it. Mm-hmm. I think that's what, I don't think, look, governments can't kill this thing, right. but they can attempt to marginalize it and mm-hmm. squelch it in the short run. What's right. your take here? The, it is concerning because Jake has like a, v- a vantage point that no one else has. It's one of the best vantage points in the industry. Um, but also crypto has a, it, the, the nature of crypto is to route around problems. Uh, and so uh, I believe in our ability to overcome through innovation, any problem that, that we see uh, ahead of us. It's just a matter of just like, is this going to be easily solved without any problems or is this going to take us a little bit longer and we'll have to problem solve for a few more years first. It's, that's kind of the, 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 my take there. People have asked him to expand his thoughts, and he says he's writing. So maybe after he publishes something, we'll definitely we'll definitely uh, push that out in the Bankless newsletter, and maybe have him on the podcast to uh, to talk further about what's going on in the regulatory. But that could definitely be some some short run uh, headwinds if some regulatory action comes down the spike. In better news, though, mm-hmm. Preston Van Loon says there are hundred thousand blocks left until London activates on Ethereum mainnet. This mm-hmm. is the next Ethereum. Hard fork. This is the one that contains EIP fifteen five nine, a hundred thousand blocks left. David, I'm not sure that I can translate that into time though. Like, no, what is a hundred thousand blocks? Oh, a hundred thousand blocks is a hundred thousand blocks. I don't know. It doesn't matter about the time. It's a hundred thousand blocks away. And this was actually <laughs> okay. two days ago. Is so, that how you keep time now? Uh, I'm working on it. Yeah, now blocks. That, now that I'm in Paris time, and then you're in you're in EST. I'm in in PSC. We should just start using block time. Block time. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we're going to do the next um, weekly week, roll up. We learned, in yeah, in roughly 50,000 blocks. blocks or so. 50,000 yeah. <laughs> blocks. It's something like 50,000 blocks. There you go. And speaking of the hard fork, David, EIP 1559, Tim Bako does some calculations about making ETH a deflationary asset. Uh, why don't you talk about this? Yeah, so there's been some controversy about whether Ether it will be deflationary after EIP 1559. Uh, and it, it's, there's a, there's a, a take here where like 
straight up the fact that we are burning ETH gives it a deflationary element. And then Ether becomes actually deflationary when gas burning or Ether burning actually supersedes Ether issuance. And Ether issuance at the moment of EIP-1559 will still have proof of work. So there will still be Ether issuance, which means for Ether to become actually deflationary, as in the actual supply of Ether is going down in number, after EIP-1559, that gas number is 150. And so every day that you see gas at 150 or higher, Ether is uh, deflationary. We are burning more than we are issuing. Once we go to proof of stake and once Ether becomes ultrasound money, because we don't have to issue very much Ether at all under a proof of stake paradigm, that gas number goes down to 11, 11. And like Ether has, uh, Ethereum has almost never been below 11 uh, GUE ever since like, probably the start of 2020. Uh, and so uh, Ether is definitely going to become deflationary. Like I, I can't imagine a world where we don't have like, a, it's, there's less than 11 GUE on the main chain. Uh, and so in proof of stake Q1-ish 2022, Ether becomes definitely deflationary. I'm more surprised about this first number actually. I hadn't like run the math mm -hmm. in this way, but so this first number says that even before the merge, while we still have like 4.2% issuance mm -hmm. on the proof of work chain, if we have GUI prices of 150 or above, we are actually turning ETH into a deflationary asset on the days that, that we maintain that average. That's pretty crazy to me. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And like there has been times where Ethereum has, has stayed above 150 GUI for, for months. And so these are not crazy numbers. All right, let's go to this take. This is a take from Vitalik. Uh, this is from ETHCC. I don't know yeah. if there's much buzz about this take, but uh, why don't you read it out, David? This is just one of the slides that he had while he was presenting his talk yesterday. And this, I thought the slide itself was interesting. And this was about what his talk was about, was uh, non-financial applications of Ethereum. Ethereum is a world computer. It's actually, the, the vision for Ethereum is not just decentralized finance and money and assets. It's actually a complete reconstruction of the internet itself. Uh, and so yeah, that, that's a whole like rabbit hole that we actually haven't really gone down much of Bankless. Maybe we should do that. But the take on the, on the slide is the vision for Ethereum and much of crypto beyond Ethereum has always been to take decentralization, trust minimization, and mechanism design experimentation far beyond finance. Uh, and so one of the examples that Vitalik talked about was like logging in with your Ethereum address. Uh, we've talked about that uh, on the Bankless podcast plenty of times. So all you have to do, like no more email passwords, just sign a, sign a message with your ledger and then you can log into a website, establish your identity there. Identity is another Ethereum use case. The whole money and finance things, that just comes first because that's like the fun part. That's the part where everyone gets rich. Uh, but there's plenty of other technological innovations brought on by the powers of cryptography and Ethereum that have nothing to do with money and finance. And so Vitalik is turning his attention there and that was kind of the purpose of his uh of his talk at, at ETHTC was to call attention to this side of ethereum that he thinks is uh, uh, uh un getting an undeserved uh too little attention these days yeah i think it's interesting like so um vitalik's maybe uh talks like five years ahead mm -hmm. of wh where things are right so he first actually used the term um legos like money legos in 2014 right before anyone could sort of conceive of it so and he actually said uh ether the money lego uh i still have my claim on the money legos meme I just, oh i know I that like, i know that's yeah. important to you <laughs> i know that's i want, I want to differentiate like, that <laughs> but like yeah and um so he was like talking about that in 2014 when no one saw that right. and um i think now he's talking about stuff that 
that is kind of like no one sees and is like five years in the future. I still do very much feel though, um, this is kind of a take that I think people like Hasu have and uh, Arthur from Defiance Capital. It's still like digital scarcity, the creation of digital scarcity, like money is going to be one of, if not the primary use case for this thing that we've created, right? right? Yeah, like, I, I agree. I, um, so like, I, I think that Ethereum will do other things in decentralization and identity. Um, but like, even, even if you look at ENS names, right, that ENS names, well, some might not call that finance. They are an asset, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Right. Like you buy it and trade it. They're an NFT. So I don't know. I'm not saying I'm, I'm totally, I'm, I'm like skeptical of this take. I just think it might be farther in the future mm -hmm. than, than people think. And still there's like so much left to do with creating a decentralized money system. We're still like in the 1800s of that. Right. Like we still have collateral backed loans, right. you know, and we're still just getting the lending building right. money Legos, right. uh, TM David Hoffman, uh, built out. <laughs> so like, yeah, it's, but it is cool. I, you know, I, I guess that's all I'll say about that. Yeah. I think we can definitely take the trend that we've seen in Ethereum is that if you build out this cool thing on Ethereum, it's all cooler if you can add an asset to it and then the community yes. likes it a lot yes. more. And yes. so if it can have an asset, it probably will. It probably will. And, and maybe should, um, yeah. mm -hmm. let's talk about this. Oh, what's this, David? You got a yep. selfie in here. Yeah, this is a selfie. So uh, at the this is the first ever Maker DAO event that is not led by the foundation. So this is the DAO throwing a DAO event for Maker DAO. And wow. while they were that, while they were presenting, I totally hijacked their stage and I ran up on stage and took a selfie with the DAO because, like I said, Maker DAO is so underappreciated. And I'm actually really excited to see what the DAO can do now that it's out of uh, out of the umbrella of the foundation. The foundation was really restrictive on like what a lot of the DAO members wanted to do largely around marketing and promotion. Uh, and so mm. now now they have broke they broke free of the foundation. They, they took off the chains, took off the shackles. Now they can actually be MKR and maker shills, which there have never been in ever. And that's why people consider maker to be like boomer finance is because the foundation prevented them from shilling MKR as like a regulations protect protection like a uh, strategy, which is probably probably a good strategy. Um, and so uh, now so they, they can be less conservative. They don't have to yeah, be as conservative. They can all be maker shills. They can all be maker shills. <laughs> and uh, maker Dow definitely could could use some some shilling. And so this is what I'm doing right now: uh, shilling maker Dow. Don't underestimate maker Dow. You're part of it. All right, man. What are you excited about this week? Yeah, I'm excited for the podcast that is coming out on Monday, and I recorded it while I was here at ETHCC, and so that will be uh, in your ears on Monday morning, so definitely tune into that. The podcast is the ETHCC Experience. If you did not get to experience ETHCC yourself, you stayed home, you couldn't have made it, didn't get a ticket. And you, that was but me. You, yeah, but and you want to <laughs> feel like what it, what it was like to be at ETHCC, you should listen to the podcast. So I interviewed a bunch of different names uh, from the ETHCC event, Stani, Kane, Vitalik, IMI Gucci, uh, a number of others. Uh, and so like 15 minute clips about what ECC is like for them. Uh, and there, and then also a little bit about each project, right? So some really big names, uh, and it was a, a ton of fun recording at ECC. I had a little studio to myself, so it's going to be one of the most, um, uh, off the, it's going to be a brand new podcast format format. Cause, uh, Ryan wasn't there Ryan wasn't at ECC and, uh, Ryan actually interviewed me 
uh, at the intro for what it was like for me to be at ECC. So uh, that'll be in your pod, in your podcast RSS feed Monday morning. So check that out. Uh, and then the other thing I'm excited about, Ryan, is that uh, Bankless, the Bankless podcast has never missed an episode since Genesis. Every what? single Every single Monday for uh, oh. like over a year and a half now. And then we started doing the State of the Nations and we have never missed a State of the Nation every <laughs> single Tuesday. And then we started doing the Bankless Weekly Rollups and we have never missed a Bankless Weekly Rollup in your inbox every single Friday. And so what I'm excited about is, dude. Consistency? We, we, we're, I'm, this is a Bankless Shill moment right now. We hit it, man. <laughs> like we don't miss. And so people were thought it was weird that I literally checked my iMac computer on the plane so I could take it to Paris. Like, dude, this is your first time in Paris and you brought your iMac computer computer what the hell no gotta deliver the bankless badass david yeah. david hoffman absolutely yeah. look if you are a content producer consistency is key mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. it's like a trust relationship that you right. set up with everyone who tunes into your material and you have mm -hmm. to keep it consistent um yeah wow good i didn't realize it's been that long and we've been so consistent yep. but we really have yep mm -hmm. incredible yeah. And like, I definitely feel the energy and the appreciation from the community here at ECC. Like it's, it's hard to walk like a hundred feet without somebody saying like, Hey man, I love the bankless podcast. And my default response is like, Hey man, me too. <laughs> Dude, that that's awesome. Uh, we should meet in real life sometime to celebrate. One right. Day, so that, that's the uh, the third thing that I'm excited about. I got three this week is that uh, if, if uh, we can convince the Infinite Garden people, if they're actually going to include us in the documentary, which I hope they do, uh, I think it'd be really cool if the, the part that they actually what they actually like interviewed us is like when we meet for the first time. I think yes. that'd be a, a fun little uh, a fun little like uh, bit. Yes. Where should mm -hmm. we do it? Yeah, we'd have to meet in the middle. We have to meet in the mutual nice. territory. Colorado. I don't know about the middle. Yeah, Colorado <laughs> would be nice. I'll do Colorado. Yeah, yeah meet you in Colorado. <laughs> Let's see that. Let's see you. All right. Um, what yeah, are you excited cool, about, man. Ryan? I'm excited about the bed index. It's finally here. So this is exciting on multiple levels, right? So it's exciting because it's kind of the bankless thesis and it's really played out, right? This thesis of there's going to be crypto money. You should invest in that. Bitcoin, Ether, and DeFi. And you should invest in that. We've had this thesis since like, 2019 and we've been preaching it now there's a product that embodies it that's the first level second level is this is a way to onboard your friends right when we started bankless the mission was really simple we want to onboard a billion people into DeFi, into going bankless and the first step to going bankless is actually holding some bankless assets mm -hmm. some assets that aren't backed by a central bank some assets that you have complete custody over and control over and now DeFi has evolved to the point where you can do that in one click right so a really easy product that you could just like talk to your friends about getting to crypto. If you want exposure, you just like purchase it and, and buy it. That's really cool. The third thing that's cool is um, the DAO like created this. Mm -hmm. So do you remember uh, you and I like thought this would be a good idea. We talked mm -hmm. to the index co-op folks about it. Um, and uh, we posted on their governance form. This evolved into the bankless DAO kind of taking it over, bringing it across the finish line. Mm -hmm. And now you've got index co-op and the bankless DAO and they are bringing a product to market. Mm -hmm. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Those three things plus this. The memes that are going to come out of the bed, yeah. get into bed, mm -hmm. like um, you hop into bed, ditch your other assets and like mm -hmm. go sleep in bed. I don't even know what the meme potential mm -hmm. of bed index is going to be, but I know it's going to be hot. And I'm excited to see that fulfilled in crypto Twitter and other social media. I'm excited mm -hmm. for the memes, David. Mm -hmm. Very excited for the memes. <laughs> That's why I'm excited about this week.
I hope uh, I hope Crypto Wife, who has produced some very very good bankless memes, I hope she makes a bankless <laughs> bed meme. So uh, maybe maybe we can reward her with some bank tokens if she does that. Um, there you go. Kevin o, Kevin Owaki's talk at ECC was about how uh, the it was about coordination because he's all about coordination. But he talked about a mesh network of DAOs all coordinating with each other, uh, like and making that rising tide. And when I see Bankless uh, Bankless DAO and Index Co-op producing a product together. No centralized companies needed. Like that's we don't need any of that. Well, all we just need is Discord and Ethereum, and all of a sudden we can make products. Uh, and so I'm really bullish on DAO to DAO collaboration, and uh, having a brand new bed bed product uh, is fantastic. Yeah, so my man, it's awesome. All right, David, you ready to get into the meme of the week? Meme of the week. Let's do it. All right, man. This this one kind of hit me. Uh, <laughs> what you get that? What are we looking at here? Yeah, so we're looking at a picture of payment with a big crack in it, and then the crack has a Band-Aid over it. Uh, and the text is, uh, uh, and this is labeling the crack, the soul-crushing reality of being a young person in this late-stage capitalistic hellscape. And then the Band-Aid's <laughs> got a label, and the Band-Aid label is a Dow with the homies, indicating that like the Band-Aid's going like, help to help you cope with that. But that's what, that's what Dows do. Dows are just like, you know, you and your homies like doing Dow stuff and allows you to like, you know... Uh, come into a new world that is separate from our old world, which I think causes a lot of existential angst to young people. Uh, and so that's the meme of the week. The, I think this meme of the week is, is, is really good because like, I don't think anyone's saying that DAOs in the here and now in their current form, none of us are saying they're going to solve right. all of the wealth inequality problems, all of like the political instability, all of the late stage capitalist type problems that the U S is facing or the world is facing. No one's saying that, but like they do give a little bit of hope don't right. they? Mm -hmm. And when you're partaking in a community, like a self-sovereign community, so people forget this isn't just a movement about self-sovereign individuals. It is that, absolutely is that. It's also about self-sovereign communities. Mm -hmm. And when you're part of a DAO and you're sort of, you know, creating something, collaborating uh, together on a project, that does give you some hope, right? This is a, mm -hmm. a new coordination mechanism that is kind of outside of our existing um, I guess, late stage capitalist world. It's mm -hmm. something I think a lot of younger generations are going to uh, resonate with. And maybe they kind of need, David, mm -hmm. right? Like millennials, Zoomers, when they look around about right. the future and like what's going on, where do they find hope? Right. I mean, I feel like crypto is the most hopeful thing. Uh, like that is happening. It's the most mm -hmm. hopeful social revolution. It's about building something brand new that is um, like doesn't have the problems that our existing system has. Not tearing it down, but building something new from the ground up. So, man, I didn't expect to get this deep on a meme, dude, right. but like, that's why this hit me. It's a good, well, sign of a good meme. Uh, and uh, shout out to Kevin Owaki again. Uh, I was watching his talk at, at ECC, like I just said, and he had, had this line that, that also hit me. Ethereum is a shelling point for the hopeful. So if you are hopeful, hmm. you find Ethereum. All right, we are going to lead out with the moment of Zen. David, you're going to have to explain this for the podcast listeners. Mm -hmm. What's happening? Yeah, so this one came out of Aston Kutcher's Twitter account. And so uh, this is actually going to be easier if you are watching it on the YouTube, but it works on the podcast as well. So you're going to hear three voices. Uh, Ashton Kutcher asking his, uh, I, I think, wife, Mila Kunis, uh, a bunch of questions because Mila Kunis is actually getting into the world of, of NFTs. She has her own NFT platform. And so he's asking her some, he's just making a joke, asking her some random questions about crypto. And then the last question gets answered by somebody different. And I think you'll recognize that, that person's voice. Hey, babe. Yeah. What's uh, crypto? It's digital currency. 
Hey, hey, babe. Yeah. What's blockchain? It's like what information stored on. So like, it's you know what information is stored on. Hey, babe. Yeah. <laughs> what what's uh, decentralization? Oh, there's not one person in charge of anything. So it's everybody keeps everybody else in check. So there's not one big like unit or entity to uphold everybody to the same code. It's the people holding each other responsible. Hey, babe. Yeah. What's Ethereum? So Ethereum is a yeah, general purpose blockchain. So unlike um, other blockchains like uh, Bitcoin, for example, that are just uh, designed around one application, so the way that Bitcoin is uh, designed around digital money, um, Ethereum is an open uh, platform that allows uh, people to uh, build their own applications on top. And anything built uh, on top of Ethereum, it's uh, protected, secured, everything is checked by yeah, this uh, entire network of, uh, of thousands of uh, computers around, um, around the world that are protecting and checking um, every transaction on the blockchain. But because it supports a programming language, uh, developers have this unlimited creativity in uh, what kinds of things that, it, that they actually create on Ethereum. So you can use Ethereum to make uh, cryptocurrencies or NFTs or many other kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.